Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. A couple of royal reminders before we dive in. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave us a royal rating, pretty please. Send us an email at info at gallerypodcasts.com. We have a very special episode this week. Yes, very exciting episode. Roberta, first, how are you doing? How's your week been? It's been good. It's good. I mean, I feel like having the weekend to kind of process everything, read the statements from royal family members about Prince Philip and... um just kind of relax was was good. How have you been? I know. I feel like Friday was such a whirlwind. And I, I what I didn't say when we recorded the bonus episode is that I was also I had gotten my second vaccine shot on yes. Thursday night. And I was like, I definitely had a day's about a day's worth of side effects. So it was a little bit of like a, a just a blur to have like the news of Prince Philip's death and then navigating that and so the weekend I needed it to kind so of what, it was recur- just the next day recover. and you yeah I just you had, had like a fever, fever and stuff? yeah just for yeah. a day I think it's always that thing where like I think all you would typically do is sleep it off except having Finn or like a toddler to chase after it made it more complicated yeah. but I did take a nice long nap after we recorded it and felt a lot better I'm nervous my second shot's coming up next week so no I'm, it's fine I'm- it's literally and the thing is it's like not my at least for me the side effects weren't like a typical flu even. It was like a fever, but like I still had my appetite. I just needed to sleep. Well, and it's like, you know, you're not actually sick. So yeah. I feel like mentally, you're probably in a mentally, better place. Mentally, it's like very too. different. Yeah. I knew it would yeah. kind of subside pretty quickly. So right. anyways, vaccinated. It's kind of exciting, but <laughs> very exciting. Congrats. About like another week, I think, until it's, it's uh, you know, I'm considered to pass the period of waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, but we have a lot coming up this week. We are delighted to welcome Victoria Murphy to the podcast. She's author of The Queen, A Life in Pictures, a brand new retrospective on the Queen's legacy. And she's a contributing editor for Town and Country. She's talking all about Prince Philip's funeral, the details that we can expect this weekend, um, and so much more. Just sort of her interactions with Philip. We get into all of that. We are also going to be reflecting on Kate and Williams' Australia tour from way back in 2014 and the fact that the UK is coming out of lockdown. So a lot to a lot to get into. Yes. And I love chatting with Victoria. She is so insightful, has so much uh, to share about the funeral plans for this weekend. So but before we get into that, we are going to start off our royal refreshment with drumroll, please. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Boddington's, Boddington's beer. Boddington's beer. We're going to do a little. Oh. Oh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Careful. I think Careful, it's actually Rachel. like an explode. Get, don't get it too close to the mic. Oh, my gosh. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I think there's something in British beers that like keeps the foam. Is that, am I wrong about that? There, I, maybe. You like when they are. Yeah, that little ball. Is that like the yeah, nitrous Yeah, I can hear thing? it. I can hear yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I don't. 
I'm not yeah. sure, but Boddington's beer we're drinking in honor of Prince Philip. So Prince Philip is an avid beer lover, and Boddington's was his favorite, supposedly. He loves beer so much that it's even said that when the prime minister, former prime minister of Italy, Giuliano Amato, said uh, he was offering fine wines at a dinner in Rome, Prince Philip said, get me a beer. <laughs> to the former <laughs> prime minister, so. Oh, and, and Prince Harry even mentioned it, right, in his statement? Yeah, and I think Princess Eugenie just did too. Um, she just released a statement this morning and she said, uh, I'll always remember your hands and your laugh and your favorite beer. So she didn't exactly disclose the brand name, but um, everyone, I guess, assumes Boddington's. But so, Rachel, you had quite the journey to get this beer. Yes, I did. Actually, a really quick story is that I I want, you know, we definitely wanted to do something in honor of Prince Philip for the Royal Refreshment. And I, I was had a hard time tracking down Boddington's in uh, small town Massachusetts. But I saw that online a, a nearby liquor store had it. And I went at t- like around 9.30 p.m. last night. And <laughs> It was just very awkward. Like, I, de- I definitely <laughs> needed assistance. I couldn't find it. I think I'm just like, it really is that, you know, we've just been not socializing <laughs> for so yeah. long that I was like, you know, it, it just felt like I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't cool. I was like in my, well, I, I ran out last minute. It, it didn't go well. <laughs> and the cashier was like, what's going on? Why is she buying Boddington's at 9? Oh, yeah. And so then I explained, I told the whole story. I was like, oh, like the reason I knew this is like I'm recording a podcast and, and, you know, we need we have this royal refreshment and it's in honor of Prince Philip and it's like really important. And it was one of those things where they definitely didn't ask. They didn't want to know. Like and he was like, "Uh huh, that'll be three dollars." They were like, "Cool, cool, cool." No idea what you're talking yeah, about. I was like, Great. "Bye, have a good night." Great. Like I said, awkward yeah. about socializing. <laughs> like so many like royal fans have those yeah. moments where people are like, "What?" I know, you're but I've definitely. I think that like you know, talking about the weekend and everything, like Prince Philip has definitely just been in the background of all of my sort of day to day, and like you know, we've we've seen so many beautiful tributes, um, you know, editorially, just people kind of sharing so many different anecdotes about them. And I think I was curious if there was anything for you, Roberta, that stood out and everything that you've read about his life. Yeah, I feel like one of the things I loved, I read a lot of obits and one of the ones in the New York Times is by Tina Brown. And she said, she wrote, he had a passion for technology. In more recent years, I am told he extolled the joys of his Kindle until disgusted by all the direct marketing of books he didn't want to read. <laughs> he threw it in the bath, which I, I feel like that sums him up so perfectly. And then another one was uh, from a letter that he wrote to Princess, then Princess Elizabeth in 1946. He wrote, to have been spared in the war and seen victory, to have been given the chance to rest in readjust myself to have fallen in love completely and unreservedly makes all one's personal and even the world's troubles seem small and petty i just love it he's so romantic he i feel so like that's something i didn't really expect from him what about you yeah it's Favorite actually funny hearing you say the like the kindle thing too i just think of that zoom you know the zoom calls that harry mentioned with oh James yeah the Gordon. slamming of the, the laptop. Slamming. Yeah. i love that i think for me it's like less of a specific anecdote but i've seen so much i think some of these articles have been republished but about from when he retired in 2017 but just about his sartorial excellence like basically mm-hmm. you know something that was not as talked about. I mean, we focus so much on what the female royals are wearing, but Prince Philip was actually such a fashion expert. I, it made me, reading these articles made me wish that Elizabeth Holmes would SMT Prince Philip as like some sort of retrospective because be he amazing. was, you know, such a natural at dressing impeccably, but not to be seen because mm-hmm. he, you know, as we know, like he couldn't overshadow the queen, but he still had to be like just completely well tailored, just 
you know, as I said, impeccable. I mean, there were some some things like even just how he nailed even like the trench coat that has been a style staple for ever. And yeah. he wore it on a sailboat or, you know, smart casual, like things like that where he, you know, the men's dress shirt in a lighter kind of peachier color, but Prince Philip wore it just perfectly tucked in, bloused, all of those things. I feel like so complimentary to the queen too in the way she dressed, just being like kind of in the background, but still very stylish, very put together. Yeah, Mr. Porter, one of the places that wrote one of the pieces, uh, even called up an image of him in a Hawaiian shirt from the 1970s. And it was like, Prince Philip nailed it. Whereas like a lot of politicians (laughs) that try to show this like vibe of being, you know, I'm on vacation. Prince Philip actually like looked stylish, looked on vacation. It was the 1970s. He wore it well. So I think just kind of like the idea that Prince Philip wore the clothes and they didn't wear him. I, I enjoyed a lot of those tributes. I love that. I love seeing the old pictures, too, of him, because I think that really is what stands out is the fashions of the day and all yeah. that and how, how dapper he looks and exactly, all those. Exactly, exactly. All right. And we have a lovely reader email from Olivia this week. She writes, Dear Roberta and Rachel, what a year it's been for the royal family. Losing Prince Philip is such a huge loss, both for his family and the world. But in some small way, I think that the loss of Prince Philip may help to heal some of the hurt within the royal family and put things in perspective. Losing a loved one has a way of forcing one to refocus on what truly matters, one's faith, family, and friends. Perhaps this period of mourning and remembering can heal the wounds of old. On a personal note, I have a special admiration and respect for the marriage between the queen and the the Duke, as I too married my husband at a young age. We were college sweethearts and we got married a few short months after graduating. I was 21 and my husband, Amir, 23. As I look back at the pictures of the young Princess Elizabeth and her dashing prince and then follow those images through the decades until their recent anniversary, I can only hope that my husband and I will have such a long, faithful, and happy marriage. Their quiet and constant love and devotion is what marriage is truly all about. So here's to raising a glass to the extraordinary Duke of Edinburgh. He has left an impressive mark on the world and, more importantly, on our hearts. Big hugs, Olivia. Cheers, Olivia. We're raising our yeah, just glasses. Yeah, just my Boddington. <laughs> I was actually supposed to pour this in a glass, I'm realizing. I'm drinking it right out of the can, and that's fine. the guy did drink, give me that instruction. I like drinking it out of the can. Sorry, I messed that <laughs> oh, up. Oh, that's what the guy told you yeah. after all He's of like, that. He was very concerned about me. With, uh, <laughs> wanted to make sure I understood what I was doing, and I clearly <laughs> after all blew of it. your hopefully disclosures. He looks, about- hopefully he Googles a royal podcast and finds me and listens to this, and I am so sorry that I botched this. <laughs> and I love that it's actually your lo- like it's your local local liquor store, right? You probably oh, will yeah. see him again. I probably will. I probably will. <laughs> um, that's such a lovely note, though, Olivia. Thank you it so really much is. for writing in. Yeah. I feel like every time I'm still not used to just reading that they were married for 73 years. I know. It's incredible. My it great-grandparents really were married for 76 years. And I remember- what? Yeah. And and it, I think that her her note really captures. I mean, my my great grandfather wrote a book about his relationship with my great grandmother just for himself. It wasn't published. He wrote oh. this thing that we had after he passed away. But just sort of their quiet devotion to each other, especially as they got into their you know golden, golden years, years, as you say. Wow. So, wow. anyways, I think Amazing. of them all the time when in, in conjunction with this as well. Yeah. Moving on. This week in royal history. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I want to leave plenty of time for our chat with Victoria. But looking back on a very different note, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge took Australia and New Zealand way back in 2014, April of that year. It was their first royal tour with Prince George. Their travel dates were April 7th to 25th. Uh, there were there. I just think what's why this kind of struck 
a note or struck a chord for me in terms of royal history is that there's been a lot of Australia mentions in the recent months. I think, you know, we have Diana and Charles and their Australia tour from 1983 popping up in season four of The Crown. A lot of conversation about that. We have Meghan and Harry mentioning it in their Oprah interview from their trip back in 2018. You know, I think, you know, Harry in that conversation, he commented on to Oprah saying the family got to see during that tour how incredible Meghan was at the job. And then we know from when Diana and Charles went, this is from Andrew Morton, he said the crowds complained when Prince Charles went over to their side of the street during a walkabout. So in general, it just feels like a lot, there's a lot of attention or post, you know, after the fact, a lot of attention on these Australia tours. Yeah, Australia feels like always one of the biggest ones that they take. And so the Cambridges, that was seven years ago, which is wild. Yeah. Prince George was just a baby. Yeah, he was only eight months old, which is so wild to think about. And and all in all, for the Cambridges, their tour totally went off without a hitch. You know, Prince George was so little, but, you know, following the footsteps of Diana, William and Kate chose to break protocol and bring him along. I just always think of his interaction with the Bilby at the Tonga (laughs) Zoo. (laughs) Yeah. Where he was like, I mean, I, I think in general, like bringing a baby just adds like a variable. And I think that's why we're so as, you know, royal watchers so drawn to it because there's no way to predict what will play out. And and Harry and Meghan did the same thing with Archie, bringing him to Africa when he was only four months. Four months old. Yeah. yeah so incredible. Really following in the footsteps of their parents. When Kate and William went to Australia, they're, the one thing they did to really kind of replicate Diana and Charles' visit was they went to Ayers Rock, which is a formation that's thought to be 550 million years old. Um, it has a lot of symbolism to that rock. Um, I think they they actually call it the rock. Uh, and they posed for photos. They did not hike up it as Charles and Diana did when they when they went way back when. And, and apparently William famously said, so what should we talk about? That was what kind of reporters picked up when they were posing. It was like a 90-second photo call, but that's what he said to Kate. <laughs> what should we talk about? Yeah. I mean, it's really oh awkward when you think about it. <laughs> but yeah, they posed in the same spot as Charles and Diana. So it's just I, – I remember that tour so vividly as a big turning point in their marriage or just kind of an iconic tour way back when. And I can't believe, you know, time. What is time? I know. And remembering, too, I feel like – those scenes in the crown that that kind of highlight that and how like making royals climb up stuff. I just feel like that just feels, yeah, like I totally understand him being like, so now that we're up here, like everyone's got to get their photo. What do we do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, And I do think I, one thing I did um, kind of look into is, you know, one thing we saw in the crown is when Charles and Diana did hike up Ayers Rock, it was implied in the crown that Diana was weak and she was not able to physically do it. But all the news reports reflected the fact that it was actually that she was just really improperly dressed. And I think that that came out in a lot of the sort of fact-checking the crown, but she had a dress that kept blowing open and she knew that on the way down, it would likely give like a full shot to the reporters. So that was a lot of the the conversation. A full shot of like what, like, of like what she her had, like her, her and undergarments and things like that. Not, I don't oh, think it was like no. her underwear or anything like that, but I think she yeah. just had, you know, she didn't want that to like happen. Like a slip or something. It didn't feel very royal to her was what, how the reporters covered it at the time. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because it's totally framed as like it part of, you know, her struggles with bulimia and stuff that she was not able to like do this and that she was criticizing Charles and all of that. So really interesting fact check on that one. Yeah, definitely. All right, next up, we are chatting with Victoria Murphy. She's the author of The Queen, A Life in Pictures, and we're chatting all about the funeral this weekend, Prince Philip's legacy in life, and her new book. 
Rose, we're thrilled to welcome Victoria Murphy to the pod today. She's a town and country contributing editor and has reported on the British royal family for 10 years. She's interviewed Prince Harry and has traveled the world covering several royal tours. Her new book is The Queen, A Life in Pictures. You may know her as By Queen Vic on Instagram and Twitter. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So first things first, we want to know where are you chatting us from and what's the mood like over in London? Ah, so I'm at home at the moment. I am talking to you from my house. Um, The last sort of day or two has been a little bit less hectic than since the news was announced on Friday. Um, I've spent time obviously reporting from uh, Buckingham Palace. There's been lots of um, journalists in Windsor. Um, But obviously because of COVID, things are a little bit different to how they normally would be. People are restricting movement to locations unless it's necessary so um i've also been spending time at home and doing stuff from home working from home a lot like everyone is at the moment so so i'm here and i mean as far as the mood goes i think it's still in the uk i think still there is still a somber mood generally about the news and i think we're seeing in this period between the death announcement and his funeral you know we're going to continue to see those tributes being made the flowers being laid although as I will say, you know, Buckingham Palace is asking people to consider not coming down to lay flowers because of the COVID relief effort. But we are, you know, we're continuing to see um, people honouring Philip's memory. Um, and I think that's something that obviously we're going to see up up until the, the funeral service itself. Are you seeing a lot of people still going to Buckingham Palace with those regulations? And Yeah, so there, there have been. So on the weekend, I think, because it, obviously people aren't working, I think it was a little bit busier. I was down there on the weekend and definitely felt like you could see a lot of people walking around. Um, it's not been at all what it would have been had it been normal times. So when the news was announced on Friday, um, people were coming down to lay flowers. And I think at first there was a little bit of... Um, they sort of had to make a decision really about what to do. So they posted that announcement on the gates of Buckingham Palace and then they took it down mm-hmm. because they were concerned that people were coming to see it and therefore oh, it would attract it. crowds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because it is, you know, it's a historical thing to come and see and people might feel they wanted to come down and look at it themselves. So they took that down. And then when it came to the flowers, people were putting them up against the railings. And on Friday and Saturday, I noticed what they were doing was they had sort of put barriers kind of around the flowers. So you couldn't walk up to the flowers unless you were laying them and people were allowed to go inside the barriers to lay their flowers and then come out again. Mm-hmm. And then they have been removing the flowers from time to time. And recently I've noticed that there have been then flowers laid against the barriers, not against the mm-hmm. railings of the palace. So I think what what they're trying to do is obviously respect the fact that some people will really want to lay flowers but they are trying to send the message that we don't want people to gather we don't want crowds the covid relief effort absolutely must be a priority and so Buckingham Palace issued a statement saying thank you for the kind messages people please consider um making donations to charity instead so they are trying to 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 get that message across while also I think being sensitive to the way that some people will want to pay their respects. Absolutely. I mean, I think there has to just be, I mean, so many challenges. I mean, I know the UK is easing out of their lockdown this week. And I feel like just kind of navigating what Prince Philip's expectations or wishes were for his funeral, but then adding the COVID measures into that. So I'm curious just to hear from you, what's 
what can we expect this this weekend with the funeral on Saturday? Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. And I should say, because the announcement sort of coincided exactly with our restrictions lifting. So, you know, perhaps that contributed to people coming down a little bit more. Um, so there are going to be some more announcements on the funeral um, before it takes place. But we do have a kind of sort of bare bones plan really of what's going to happen on Saturday. Um, It's going to be what's known as a ceremonial funeral. So that is not a full state funeral, which is reserved for monarchs generally. That's what the Queen will have. That's what her father had. This is a ceremonial funeral, which is the same type of funeral that the Queen Mother and Princess Diana had. Um, But it is still very similar in normal times in terms of the way it looks. We still would have in normal times that significant military presence, the opportunity for crowds to line the streets, lots of dignitaries paying their respects. Um, But of course, this funeral, because we're in COVID times, is going to look very different. So Philip's coffin was originally due to um, process from be to travel from London to Windsor, where the service, the funeral service was always going to be held at Windsor. But now there's only going to be a very short procession and it's all going to take place within the grounds of Windsor Castle. And Buckingham Palace have been very clear on that. You know, they're saying if people come to Windsor on Saturday, they won't be able to see anything. It will all be within the private grounds. Um, So it is going to look very different, but we're told it's still very much in line with his wishes. He obviously was involved in the planning of his funeral, which has the codename of Fourth Bridge, which I'm sure you probably know Mm -hmm. all the royal funerals are named after different bridges. Uh, Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, Fourth Bridge is the the code name for his. And so the difference is um, there's this very short procession. So the service is at 3pm, but things will start to begin at uh, just before that, just before 2.45pm, when his coffin, which is currently in the private chapel in Windsor Castle, is going to be moved um, by a bearer party and it's going to be taken to the state entrance of Windsor Castle, where it will be placed on a customised Land Rover, which he helped design, which is a really nice kind of quite personal touch. I think a lot of people might find that very touching. And then there is going to be a short procession from that state entrance down to St George's Chapel in Windsor. And ahead of the coffin is going to be representatives of the military. And then walking behind the coffin, we're going to see his family members. It hasn't been confirmed yet exactly which family members will be walking. There's I'm sure you've seen been a lot of speculation about um, William and Harry walking side by side. It seems very likely that that will be the case, but that's something that we're expecting to be confirmed a little bit later this week. And then the service begins at three o'clock and there will be a one minute of silence before the service is held. Yeah, well, and I keep thinking about, you know, should it be Harry, William and Charles walking behind the coffin if that does play out? I think just the significance for me, it... It feels so staggering that the last time that happened, Philip was there, and it's been nearly 25 years when it was behind Princess Diana in that. It's just wild to me that it's been that long that, you know, we've been so fortunate to have, you know, not have a a big funeral since Diana, really. Well, we had the Queen Mother. The Queen, oh, I guess it was, yeah, the Queen Mother. Yeah, the Queen Mother, yeah, and family members walked behind the coffin then. Um, That's true. But I think that um, also 
of course, I think his four children will will be um, it will be done, I think, in the order that we've seen kind of things mm-hmm. done so far. So we saw with the on, statements and things like how those were released. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we saw that the children went first and we had statements from all the children and then we had some of the grandchildren and we're starting to see a little bit more, some more of the grandchildren make their personal tributes. So I think anything done, I would expect to see that order followed, the sort of family order rather than the line of succession order, which would obviously be Charles and then William. But I think we're going to see this is very much a family funeral. Mm -hmm. And I think that we'll see that reflected in the way that things are done. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, I feel like with the family, they've been limited, I think, to 30 guests. Is that right? And so do you know any more details about who those people are? I feel like we've heard rumors that um, maybe Carol and Michael Middleton will be there and a few, I mean, obviously the children and grandchildren that can make it and Harry, who's over in the UK now. Yeah. So um, I don't think the Middletons will be there at all. Um, I think that there's only 30 people allowed because of COVID restrictions and the royal family are very keen to obviously stick to any regulations that everyone else is being asked to stick to because it's been a really difficult time here in the UK. A lot of people have lost loved ones and they haven't been able to attend those funerals in a lot of cases in person. Restrictions at one stage were even tighter. So that the royal, it's very important to the royal family that they set that example and are not seen to be getting any kind of special treatment for this. So they well, there will be 13 family members, as you say, obviously the children, the grandchildren... I think there's we will find out more um, in the next few days, but I do think there is a question mark over maybe some of the uh, spouses of some of the mm-hmm. grandchildren, for example. Would they take up a spot or would that spot go to another relative um, or maybe even someone from Philip's household who he worked really closely with? Mm-hmm. So it's a difficult decision. They yeah. have to weigh all of that up, you know, um, and we will we will find that out. We will see. In the procession itself, so the 30 family members are allowed but then the military presence that will be there on the day it will be much smaller than what it would be normally in normal times but it will be um there will be a military presence allowed and they're not part of the 30 they are there for work purposes um and we also see members of his household walking behind the royal family behind the coffin reflective of the fact that he had this working life you know for more than 70 years and he he presumably had very you know strong relationships with those people that he was working with day in day out and that's reflected I think in the procession you've got the family and then you've got the members of his household who worked for him some in some cases you know for a very long time yeah I think I think I'm just curious too like you mentioned the Land Rover like what other Prince Philip flourishes we might see play out I mean we might likely not be privy to them but it is I'm I'm curious what they'll do to honor him and make it individual and unique to him and it's so intimate that's such a nice I'm sure that that's something that feels like they're honoring him already even though it is a COVID restriction I think that's a really good point and a lot of people have said that actually this is this is what he would have wanted he never wanted a first you know he didn't want a state funeral and actually the fact that his funeral is even more scaled back than it originally would have been may very well suit him very well and and the kind of person that he was Um, there's a really nice sort of touch that we will see on the day his coffin is going to have his personal um, standard, his personal flag draped mm. over it, which reflects um, it's sort of split into four parts and they reflect his um, 
Greek and Danish roots. They reflect Greece, Denmark, um, his surname Mountbatten, um, and also his title as the Duke of Edinburgh. And that's going to go over his coffin. And then there's going to be a wreath of flowers, and then his naval cap and sword on top of his coffin as well. And that is quite poignant because that reflects his military service, the military service that he trained for and carried out as a young man. And obviously that he gave up when uh, the Queen, well, just before the Queen became Queen, he gave that up so that he could support her in her role. And that, you know, that sums up, doesn't it, who he was. He was somebody who made a decision that when he fell in love with her and decided to marry her, that his life would need to be completely dictated around her job and her position. And he very much accepted that and signed up for it. But the fact that we're going to see, I think, his naval cap on his coffin on the day, I think is a reminder of that service that he gave and of that career that he didn't really have to its fullest at all because of the position that his wife had. Absolutely. I'm curious, Victoria, what happens after the funeral? Does the family get together after? What is the kind of procedure for that once the, I guess, the television cameras go off? Yeah, interesting, because there has been speculation that they might get together before as well. Um, But of course, COVID, they shouldn't really, because the gatherings of that size are not allowed other than for a funeral. So you're not currently with the restrictions here in the UK, allowed to have 30 people together. Even outside for, or? Gosh, that's a good question now. You're testing me. I know, I think I'm, it, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, it's like I it changes no daily. It's like they change so yeah. rapidly. I'm trying to keep up Putting with Putting you on the spot, yeah. No, I'm like, There's, um, no, I think, I think we're still limited to two households and six or six mm-hmm. people outside in gatherings unless it's for specific certain things, a funeral of which is one. And, and also you have this situation with Harry where he is supposed to be quarantining other than when he's at the funeral because he has flown over here and he is allowed to on compassionate grounds attend the funeral service but he is supposed to be quarantining outside of that so he shouldn't be spending time with anyone so certainly we're not going to see evidence of anything happening before or after um because it shouldn't be you know so we would presume it isn't (laughs) yeah and his exactly. quarantine would be five days before and five days after, is that right? Yeah, it's a 10-day quarantine ten days, period, yeah. yeah. And there's some suggestions that he could take a test and be relieved That's of that. That's what I was reading, yeah. And, and yeah, so that might that might happen. Um, but we, we're not hearing, we're not getting sort of commentary on that or running commentary on that. We, It was confirmed that he had arrived safely in the UK and he had gone to Frogmore Cottage, which is, of course, as you know, the property that he and Meghan um, was their official residence when they were both here. And now Eugenie and Jack are spending time in it. I understand that they are still there. So he's gone to Frogmore and he's quarantining in that property. But they're not sort of, there's, you know, there's been so many stories that have been written about him and William have they spoken have they not has he spoken to family members but there's there's nothing being said officially on any of that from either Buckingham Palace or the Sussexes yeah we wanted to ask you about that too because it does feel like that's a pretty big you know hugely anticipated aspect of the funeral just because of the events of the last month do you have any predictions about that or what we might see in front of that those cameras I think it absolutely it's going to be a very much a picture of a family united in grief. I think that's what we will see. I think they will, they all want the focus 
on the funeral to be, of course, on Philip. And I think that they are all united, very united in supporting the Queen as well. Um, We've seen, I think it's been quite interesting, we've seen um, since the announcement of Philip's death, we've seen a very coordinated response, really, from Buckingham Palace and from the Sussexes, and obviously on a lot of other things. You know, they've been very separate um, and the disagreements have been very clear. So you'd have a statement from the Sussexes and then a sort of reactionary statement from Buckingham Palace over other issues. We've seen that recently. Um, But this is a very different situation. We had that statement put out by the Queen announcing the death and then the Sussexes were have made it very clear that they weren't going to be saying anything else. You know, they said this statement speaks on behalf of us as well. This is a statement on behalf of the whole family. And then when Harry and William released their statements, we were aware that they were coming and there was a coordinated effort there to release those two statements. It wasn't like William decided to release them and then Harry did so afterwards. So oh, they, there was communication there over that. So we're seeing a lot of communication, a lot of cooperation over the funeral service and over honouring Philip's memory. Now, the question is, of course, is that going to mean that things are healed in other ways? Is that going to mean that the relationships now start to improve? Because we know they have been very difficult and there have been significant disagreements. Um, My take would be, I think there's there's reason to be hopeful that a conversation can be started and maybe things will move forward a little bit because grief does unite people. Um, But I think it's probably naive to think that every disagreement, every problem, everything that has happened can just suddenly be resolved. I think that's naive. I think there's a lot that the family will want to discuss and work through. And now is not really the time to do it because they want to focus on Philip. Yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah. I know. I feel like there was a great line in the New York Times about it just being like how Philip was really responsible over the years for really kind of keeping the family, you know, the monarchy, preserving the monarchy, you know, just Mm -hmm. throughout his his entire lifespan. And there was a line in the New York Times that said, the biggest test is whether Philip's death can reunify his warring family. And it seems like that will come at his funeral. So it's just interesting. You know, I think like you're completely right in saying that that it's not the time, but it does kind of force them all back together when COVID has also been, you know, exacerbating the distance and all of that. Exactly. And it's also a reminder, you know, when people lose a loved one, I think they're reminded about perspective and about what Mm -hmm. matters in life. And it's an opportunity to say, you know, we are family, we love each other and we we want to get on, we want things to work. So I, I, I can definitely see that. I think, on the day itself, I think we won't see evidence really of any personal discussions or relationships. Course, it's very yeah. choreographed, incredibly mm-hmm. choreographed. Um, and the royal family will be, of course, in the spotlight when they're making that procession. They will be filmed and inside the service will be filmed as well. But I don't think we're going to get sort of, you know, close up shots of family family yeah. faces in the in the funeral service itself. I think there will be sort of a respect full um, way of filming the service um, and so I don't think we're, we're not going to see evidence of any of any kind of dynamic that yeah. may have existed in the days around around the funeral but potentially I mean we don't know yet when Harry is traveling back to LA so mm. I think in the days afterwards that's something that might become a discussion point again is is 
is he sticking around? Is he chatting yeah. to people? Will anything be confirmed if he does meet up with someone? So, of course, it's going to be an ongoing narrative. Yeah, I was thinking of his nerves on the plane. I don't know why I was just like, it, you know, it's a bit to make that flight home after the last four weeks. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask, typically Harry would probably wear his military uniform at the funeral, but he, I've read there's a couple reports that say that he won't because of stepping back from his role as captain general of the Royal Marines and um, and not being able to salute also. Do, have you heard anything about that? Yeah, so I, I think we will find out soon things about the uniform, what people are going to wear. And there's been a lot of speculation around that. I think um, it's true that because he's stepped back as captain general of the Royal Marines and his other honorary military appointments, he won't be wearing those uniforms. And the Captain General of the Royal Marines was his most senior honorary military appointment. So that's the uniform that we would have possibly expected him to wear. Mm. Um, he didn't wear that uniform for his wedding. Um, he wore instead the uniform of the who that he had served with. So he and I think that was really said a lot about Harry, you know, because he served in the military for 10 years and he wanted what he wore in his wedding to reflect that, not to reflect his honorary appointments. Um, but what what is being said and what may well be the case is that he will wear, wear a suit um, as a, as a civilian, effectively. Um, so I, I think I think we're going to get some more clarity on that um, because it is an interesting question. What will everyone wear, really? I think because yeah. you know this is very much a kind of it is actually turning into quite an intimate family funeral, really. So I think it will be interesting to see what decisions are made around that. Totally. I yeah, I'm so interested because I also feel like if if other people are in military uniforms and he's not, then the contrast would be obvious. But if not, and everyone's in suits, then it wouldn't be so. Um, but we definitely want to talk about your book. So the, your new book is The Queen, A Life in Pictures. We're going to change gears for a little bit here. Um, we know that you've written about Philip's life and legacy in your new book. Do you have a favorite anecdote of the Duke or one thing you found surprising while researching? Well, you know, I suppose I think I should probably talk about the times that I actually got to see him in person because I was lucky enough to I've been covering the royals for 10 years and I was lucky enough to get to cover some of his engagements before he retired so I was able to go as we do and along to royal engagements that he was still carrying out on a regular basis and the most the one that really sticks in my memory is obviously I was there at his retirement at his very last mm -hmm. engagement in August 2017 um, and he was retiring as Captain General of the Royal Marines um, and of course as we know Harry took over that role from him subsequently but it, it just felt like one of those moments where you have a ringside seat in history and it, it was it was very poignant because it was quite brief you know he just came out and there was a lineup of of the um the regiment we call it regiment there was a lineup of the marines and then he was you know he just stood before them and and there's those beautiful pictures which you see where he's like sort of tipping his hat, hat. yeah yeah, yeah. And it's the just, yeah and it was it was incredibly um it was really moving and it was raining. Yes, you're right. I remember it was raining that day and we were all standing, you know, outside on the forecourt of Buckingham Palace. And there was aides there who'd worked for him for a long time who came out of the palace to sort of join the media and witness this moment because people, I think, felt quite emotional about it. A lot of people did feel that he'd, he'd been doing his job for so long. You know, everyone knows that it is a different to a normal job, but 
he didn't have to work until he was 96. You know, if he'd retired 10 years earlier, yeah. nobody would have moaned and said he didn't do enough, right. you know. it's And, and he, there he was still doing it and, and still working. So that was that was incredible. Um, and also I, I covered, I covered a few, quite a few engagements with him. And I saw him, you know, be very interested in people, very asking you know, interesting questions. I always felt that he appreciated talking to people who were not sort of overly deferential. He's quite matter of fact. And I think if he saw that in someone else, he kind of liked it. I, I did an engagement in Barking and Dagenham, I think it was 2015, which was a community centre that he and the Queen attended. And it, the woman who founded the community centre or who'd, who'd um, been responsible for a lot of the work that goes on in it, she was this really, she was a lovely lady. And I remember chatting to her before they arrived and she was so lovely and down to earth. And she'd done a lot in this community. Um, and she had been instrumental in getting the Queen and Philip to come. But when, of course, they agreed to come, when the Queen agreed to come, all of these kind of officials in the area had, you know, swooped in mm. to, like, you know, be involved in the visit. And you right. see that with every visit. You see dignitaries, you know, all there wanting to be part of this occasion. Um, but actually, the Queen and Philip were, were actually really focused on on the people who were at the community centre and on this woman. And she, I saw her having some really lovely chats with Philip and um, he, she said afterwards, you know, he told her off for saying the word community all the time. And, <laughs> and then she said, well, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? And uh, she, said, she said that when he left, she said, oh, I'm going to uh, get a thesaurus and look up different words for community. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> he said, he said, she said, he said to her, you know, that was a really nice visit. And, and I, I'd watched them talk to each other and I just felt that he really enjoyed that what I think was quite a genuine encounter. And I think that's what he was like. I think he liked talking to people who were into, who had interesting things to say about what they were doing and who wanted to talk to him, not just about him or didn't just want to be around him because he was royal. Kind of not the starstruck of but, of it. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how I would but, be. I would be very starstruck. Yeah, and not for sure. But I should also say that what, so so what the point I was going to make, I've elaborated a very long time on no, this. No, I love it. <laughs> the point I was going to make was that I, I you know, doing this for 10 years, it, it's a relatively long time, you know, to, to cover a subject. But despite that I have only ever seen Philip in the flesh as a, a very elderly man and for so many people he has he people think of him people thought of him as an old man because he was an old man for many years and actually I think what we're seeing now and what we're being reminded of is his whole life and his whole story and that was something that I had already really understood from researching for the book because there's a chapter on Philip so I divided the book into 10 thematic chapters about the Queen's life and reign. Uh, so the first chapter is her duty. So that kind of goes through all of the key things that she does as sovereign and all of the key milestone moments that are relating to her position. And then the second chapter I made about Philip. So I got the opportunity to actually look at his life a lot and perhaps a little bit more than some other picture books about the Queen would because there's a whole chapter devoted to him tracking his story. And in common with all of the other chapters in the book, I really wanted to get that breadth of 
different kinds of moments and an even span throughout the decades. So I have pictures of him in his childhood, which obviously, as is well documented, was quite a turbulent childhood. So I wanted to have illustrations we could then use as a springboard to talk a little bit about that, his education, his youth. Um, And then going into his military service, obviously his service with the Royal Navy, and then meeting the Queen. and, and, And going sort of through the years equally, I was able to really kind of come to understand all the things that he had done, so many of which until very recently had been lost a little bit to history. The stories about him when he was polo playing, the the books he wrote, the interests that he had, the speeches that he made, um, all, all of those things, you know, were were really fascinating. And, and it was really lovely to be able to see pictures of him in so many different guises. And that was another thing that I really tried to reflect in the book was informal photographs versus photographs that show the pomp and pageantry so and pictures behind the scenes versus pictures making the public so versus the ones we've seen so many times I feel like we've seen a lot of those pictures so many times but the ones one of the ones that I love in your book of Philip is in costume in a Macbeth play oh yeah I just feel like it is true that we've seen you know even like photographer Chris Jackson shared a photo of him as a young military man and I'm like just like in awe about how, I don't know. It's it's definitely, we've seen him as an old man for so long, like you said. And I think it's just shocking and and um, exciting to see him as a very dapper, I must say, handsome young man. <laughs> well, I think even the, the chapter closure, which is the photo of them, uh, young Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip on the polo field, is very much mm. a candid shot. It just has such Kennedy vibes for me, like, you know, that sort of era there. You know, just this allure. And, you know, we kind of saw Philip, a different, I think, with the crown, bringing him, a young Prince Philip, back to life in a very fictionalized account. But I think, you know, it did pique a lot of interest in his younger days as well with that Mm -hmm. coming on air. I think that's true, actually. And that's one of the things that I uh, certainly found um, when when I was doing the book when I was talking to people about the fact I was doing it I would talk to people in the US and uh, people who would say things to me like oh um are you gonna include this thing about Princess Margaret and I was thinking wow like and then I realized people know all these things because of the crown so (laughs) people really are being reintroduced to this story and 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 in some cases it's a little tricky because obviously the crown the overarching narrative is factual but a lot of the scenarios and the conversations and the dialogue of course is fictional so it's that you've got to make sure people don't think that's literally exactly what was said um but it is it, it is really interesting that there is this whole new level of interest in in the royal history i think because of the crown um and yeah and i i know the picture that you mean you're talking about the opening of chapter three which is the family oh, it's chapter, the opening yeah, chapter. Where, i guess because i saw it digital it yeah <laughs> no exactly it's the opening of chapter three but i mean philip obviously features all the way through the book because chapter three is family and he obviously features hugely in that as well um and chapter four is overseas visits and he features hugely in that but for chapter two it was, it was more about sort of telling his story and the queen is more um a backseat in that chapter which i thought was important mm-hmm. because he of course he is so instrumental in in her reign and the way that she's been able to do her job and they have absolutely been side by side um and I picked a quote for this opening of each chapter and the quote that I picked for 
this chapter, which is called Her Strength and Stay, obviously named after that very famous speech that she gave. Yeah. Um, The quote I picked was, I think the main lesson that we have learned is that tolerance is the one essential ingredient of any happy marriage. You can take it from me that the queen has the quality of tolerance in abundance. And I just thought that was such a, I thought there were so many quotes I could have picked and I could have picked a quote from her talking about him, Mm -hmm. but to me, I just thought that's the one because it sums him up because it's he's trying to make a joke, you know, it's it's a bit funny and that's yeah. obviously what he was always trying to do. <laughs> that's and, I um, took it out, it was yeah. humorous, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also it's a little bit self-effacing, you know, mm. he's kind of doing himself down a little bit, suggesting that she had to be incredibly tolerant to put up with him and, and that was another characteristic, I think, of his. And But it also really sums up the fact that ultimately they did have a really happy marriage and it was based on a real mutual understanding and a real mutual acceptance and so for me I think that that was just the perfect way of kind of introducing him. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It's it's such a gorgeous book to flip through. We recommend to everyone listening to definitely pick up a copy. That's, uh, That's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, one question we end on, we ask every guest, if you could identify with any royal, who would it be and why? Um, I mean, I suppose the answer I'd probably give if I'm just being instinctive is it, probably Kate, Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, just because she is similar age to me. Um, and I suppose I have followed their journey more than anyone else's firsthand. So I started covering the rules when they became engaged. And this sounds really quite cheesy, but I feel like I've kind of grown with them in the role, you know, mm-hmm. as they've I've seen her kind of grow in confidence and grow in all, all of the things that she's taken on. And I feel like that that's in parallel to my journey of, you know, growing in my understanding of the royal family, which is an endless topic that you could there's so many springboards in this topic and I discovered that from doing the book you know um so many things to understand that surround them and also seeing and witnessing things and understanding things with my own eyes and so I think I would probably say Kate yeah I mean we also have that milestone coming up their 10-year wedding anniversary a lot this month and the queen's birthday next week and so much. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think some some of these things do feel a bit different to how they would feel normally in normal times. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely milestones, big milestones to be marked nonetheless. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on. I feel like this was really wonderful and we know you're so busy. Are you going to be on the ground on Saturday for the funeral or what? what's your plan? I will be in some guys. I'll be doing uh, television, so where I'm, wherever I'm needed, I will be. I, I, I hope to be in Windsor, um, because even though there won't be anything to see, I think, I think just being there, kind of soaking up the atmosphere, yeah. feeling that you are in the location, I think is always a really nice thing to do. I think it will be interesting to see Windsor on um, Saturday, because obviously the original plan was for the streets to be lined with people, and yeah. the coffin would process into Windsor, and that would be a huge moment and instead I think it will be a very curious mix of kind of people going about their normal day people therefore to cover it for work probably you know quite a few journalists and maybe some people who have come down even though people are being advised not to so I think it will have a a very different feel yeah absolutely well we will definitely be thinking of you and as a reminder you can follow Victoria at by Queen Vic on Instagram and Twitter Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. 
That was such an informative chat with Victoria. Really wonderful. And you can buy her book, The Queen, A Life in Pictures, wherever books are sold. Yeah, I think it's it's great to hear her perspective just leading into this weekend. Definitely. And that she'll be on the ground at Windsor Castle. I think that's really interesting. We'll follow along on her Twitter by Queen Vic this weekend. All right, before we adjourn the royal pod, here are highs and lows. It's time for the royal highs and lows. My low this week is just that we have kind of some more insight into that weepy meeting between Charles and Philip at the hospital. It seems now more and more that his time spent in the hospital was really an indication that things were not well. um, And his time back home was more of a request that he could spend his last final hours with the queen outside of the hospital walls. Uh, Robert Jobson, the author of Prince Philip's Century, said that in the mail on Sunday said that with his life drawing to a close, a frail Duke of Edinburgh had just three important things to say when he asked to see his eldest son in hospital a few weeks ago. In an emotional bedside conversation, the Duke advised Prince Charles on caring for the Queen when he was gone, on how Charles should lead the royal family through the years ahead, and fully aware he was unlikely to recover after weeks in the hospital, the 99-year-old expressed a wish to go home. A palace source had revealed he wanted to die in his own bed behind the walls of Windsor Castle. So I think, you know, as much as we had hoped that him being led out of the hospital was such a good positive sign, it really was just more of his last request and um, really heartbreaking to think back on. Yeah, absolutely. And we remember seeing those visuals. It was nice that he did get to spend that time with the queen too. Yeah. And just, I think anyone just being at home during that kind of their final days, I think that 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 feels right, you know? Exactly. So Milo of the Week is just, I think it's sort of the general... Everything that's going on where, you know, it's not, it's very atypical to have this much drama playing out when a funeral is also happening. Like, it just feels like the attention is not on Prince Philip where it should be. And I think that that's been kind of wild to watch. You know, for one thing, the dragging of Meghan not returning home to the UK for Philip's funeral. And also the commentary on William and Harry releasing separate statements. I think that there's just been way too many headlines about that. You know, for Meghan, I feel like it is insane to me that people are making these comments. Like, she's in her likely in her third trimester you know it's a pandemic it's not that doesn't seem like a great time for a pregnant person to fly in general and she you know recently suffered a miscarriage which which we know so this is you know a high-risk pregnancy uh and just you know we're seeing headlines like prince harry to travel to uk for prince philip's funeral megan won't like that just is you know you're you're starting there's so much context there yeah yeah, there's a lot of context doctors told her not to right yeah i feel like that even if they didn't i feel like you support what a woman in her third trimester or at any stage of her pregnancy wants to do and it shouldn't be it's just so logical questioning that it just i think that that's such a low and then just you know i feel like i saw a lot of tweets and people commenting you know i believe omid even made a comment just about the fact that clarifying the fact that you know a lot of people are claiming that william kind of having a dig at harry in his statement the line about catherine and their relationship i just feel like it just Like the fact that Harry and William released separate statements just feels so logical to point to kind of finger point and make it this whole bigger thing than it is. I mean, Prince Charles, Princess Anne, like everyone's releasing separate statements. It just it it's creating drama that's not there. Yeah. And now we know from Victoria that that was coordinated on behalf of Prince William and Prince Harry's press offices. It sounds like they really did coordinate the release of those statements. So there was no it doesn't seem like there was any like a, it wasn't a reactionary thing. Yeah. It you just know what is, I mean? Yeah. I think in general, it's just I think my low is just the attention just doesn't feel where it should be. Yeah, totally. And Saturday, too, I'm expecting that the attention will be 
not on the funeral and people will be worried about Harry and William. And- I mean, I, yeah, I think all of us, you know, because of everything, the events in yeah. the last month, for sure. It makes sense, but yeah. I think just being cognizant of that. Yeah. Well, my high this week is that we will actually be able to picnic on the grounds of Buckingham Palace this summer. The Queen is allowing self-guided tours of the gardens for the first time in history. Really exciting. The 39 When do we gardens. go? <laughs> That's what I was saying. Like, when do we plan our trip? Um, the gardens will allow paying visitors, so we do have to pay whatever I'm fine with that. Fee. I'm yeah. fine with that. <laughs> um, but you can picnic on its sweeping lawns from July to September. Um, previously, you could access some of the grounds. They'd been included as part of the guided tours, but you would have to be obviously with a guide. Now, you can kind of roam and explore. And I'm thinking that if you stay long enough, you might get a glimpse of the queen. <laughs> Roberta, so, this is happening. This is like our yeah, our post pandemic bucket list. Outing. <laughs> well, I think when we plan our trip to London, no, exactly. I mean, they said the, this this statement from uh, the royal what is it, the royal palaces or whatever it was said. Uh, Carpeted with primroses and bluebells, flowering camellia, magnolia, azalea shrubs, and trees. It's like so sounds so picturesque. Oh, so beautiful. our London trip is shaving up yeah we'll just keep that google doc going our itinerary (laughs) in check (laughs) uh so my high of the week is just in general been the royal i'm very general this week but uh the royal family's instagram account i feel like it was you know respectful tributes it's always been a place a source of news right from the family that i felt following it but just when as soon as they posted the picture of prince philip with those monarch butterflies i was like oh my god oh this is like this is really special and intimate we're seeing this other you know visuals that we aren't you know, we haven't seen. And I think, stunning. you know, the shot, I, I know they used it to share the shot that William shared of Prince George with Prince Philip on the carriage and, and all the pics of a young Philip with the queen. I just, I've really enjoyed that space and kind of the getting this little like capsule of his life there. And I, I think in my head, I have this kind of idea that like the queen and may, or maybe members of the family are signing off on those posts. That might be completely inaccurate, but I think that that adds to the intimacy I feel viewing that content there. Totally. And also when it's never before seen pictures, I just feel like that's something that maybe they have to kind of sift through their personal archives to find. And that's what makes it so special. It's like, and that butterfly picture, like it caught, it like took my breath away. It was so stunning. And it's so so inspiring. Like I just feel very inspired by Prince Philip and everything that he's done in the name of service, I think. Yeah. And I read that, um, this is like kind of tangent, but that Prince William and Kate asked their three kids to pick out one of those or one of the pictures of Prince Philip that they had and they were going to hang it on the wall. So I just wonder which one the three kids chose. I thought that was so sweet. sweet. Yeah. All right. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating on Apple Podcast. Here's a recent review. This person, Chicago Gals, wrote, I like that they don't just sit starstruck at all the royals, but dare to criticize the palace where it's merited. Thank you. We'll try to do more of that. Because <laughs> we balance. are starstruck a lot of the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> but sure. I'm glad that yeah, some some criticism comes through. When Roberta meets uh, the Queen at the Buckingham <laughs> at the Buckingham Palace Gardens, you know. <laughs> the starstruck. You will hear about we'll it. We'll come in. Rem- yeah. Remember to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. You can also follow us personally. I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. And don't forget to email us info at gallerypodcasts.com. Till next week. God God save save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. 
and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.